And this week's episode of Studio Inter will be reviewing the matches against Sassuolo and Parma. We'll be previewing the upcoming match against Brescia and Bologna. This week's Moji, Moratti and Frog, special guest Carlo Garganese, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on centrointer.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nima Tarla Iruzzari, wishing you welcome to what has been a very schizophrenic week at Inter, to say the least, as is normal. Uh, if, any, if, if Panta, if, if, uh, if uh, Suning and uh, Antonio Conte thought they were going to get the pats out of Inter, they sure as hell have failed. But we'll, before we get into all of that, let me introduce the panelists, the Sempre Inter, uh, Sempre Inter.com preview writer, Mr. Mohamed Nasser. Hello, everyone. Good to have you with us. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I'm gonna. You're always Mr. Our resident Mr. Positivity, so I'm really gonna grill you for this because I am not positive. <laughs> and 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 I saw you lose your faith a little bit last night as well when you tweeted out, "Come on, don't do this to me" or something along those lines. Um, but before we get there, I would like to introduce uh, Mr. Billiam Beckman. Apparently, no. <laughs> that, was, that was a mistake telling you that anecdote before oh, you came yes. on air. Absolutely. That was an old history teacher who called me Billiam. Hello, Nima. <laughs> I'm not very positive either, so I, maybe we can have a two-pronged attack on Good. Nassau. Good. I think that, that video that they, they made at the start of the season when Conte was asking Stephen Zhang to take the pats around would be, be um, a good time to go back and watch that. It's not aged particularly well. Um, <laughs> No, no, it hasn't. Um, and we're also joined by a special guest. So obviously, when things go to hell for Inter, uh, we have to bring on our resident gobbo, a very good friend, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Carlo Garganese. Yeah, I mean, you can blame me for this, uh, you know, for these recent poor performances. You know, it was yeah. all it was all designed. You know, I had to yeah. jinx jinx you. <laughs> yes, you have. You keep on going on with this you're going to win the Scudetto nonsense. And I'm not buying into it because I know you're, you're from Naples. So I know that you're full of all that smorfia and all that shit. So you just <laughs> put that. So, and you're a god boss. So that's what this is all is. It's all about, you know, it's all about negative, negative juju juice against Inter. <laughs> right. Let's, um, let's get into it. Um, Carlo, I mean, uh, yesterday, I mean, the, the game against Asola is the first one we have to talk about because, that was insane. I mean, I to me, when I was watching that, it really reminded me of Mazzari's Inter. From from the starting lineup with Gagliardini and Borja Valero in the middle of the pitch to to uh, you know Victor. I mean, everything about that, just the way they the way they behaved on the pitch, the instability, this this notion that this 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 you know Inter could concede 19 goals and it wouldn't be that hard. Uh, there was no stability. Anything could go. Anything could go wrong, and 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 how, and, and somehow Inter managed to draw that game in a game where they, to be honest, Sassuolo were better. Um, and I mean, how did you experience that going into it? Uh, I was surprised because I think that um, after the restart, I thought Inter were were absolutely fantastic against Napoli, just didn't take their chances, and then obviously against Sampdoria, 
Um, I thought you guys were were brilliant in the first half, but then showed signs of tiredness uh, in the second half against a very poor Sampdoria team. So I guess those were the warning signs because because Sampdoria really are weak, and you, you should be blowing those you should be blowing them away really. Um, so yeah, I guess the warning signs were there. Um, as you said, very fortunate to to get a draw against against Sassuolo. Um, and and then against Parma, I mean, until the closing minutes, you know, hardly created anything. Um, and I think that Antonio Conte, I mean, I've said this so many times, you know, for years now, that Antonio Conte doesn't quite know how to manage a team to play every three or four days. Um, I think that when he when he can manage a team and prepare them for a whole week for a game. Um, he's the best coach in the world. I truly believe that. Um, the way that he can drill his players and get them ready physically uh, and tactically for a, for a match or one-off match uh, where he has a whole seven days. He, he's brilliant. He's the best. Um, we saw that at Juventus in his first season. We saw that at Chelsea in his first season. Um, we saw that um, with Italy at Euro 2016 in the, the opening game against Belgium and then in the second round game um, against uh, against Spain when they, they'd rested all their players in the last the third group game. Um, you know he's the best. He's brilliant. Uh, but when it comes to like playing every three or four days, he hasn't quite got it. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think one is he doesn't like to rotate, um, and when he does rotate, he probably doesn't rotate the right players or he doesn't quite get it right. And I think the game against Palmer was an example of that because I think he put too many players who weren't ready and who were probably not up to the level on at the same time. And I think it was a bit suicidal, really, to play D'Ambrosio and um, Godin um, at the back against two such quick and, you know, I mean, exciting players in, in Trevino and Kulisevsky who caused them havoc really all game. Um, and then the, the midfield as well um, with... with um, um, Gagliardini playing um, again um, and it looked, they looked weak in the, in the centre of midfield um, so so yeah there's the rotational side of thing but I think also maybe the most important thing is that Conte really only has kind of one one way of playing in terms of you know the intensity and in terms of beating teams through through that side of that, that way of playing um, and that's just not possible playing in that way with that intensity you know, every three or four days, especially when he, when he trains like that as well. I mean, anybody will tell you that <laughs> the Conte teams train like crazy. Um, and, you know, I just think that he maybe needs to find a different way of playing. I, st- I still don't think that Inter keep the ball well enough. Um, and that's been an issue with, with Juventus, with uh, Conte teams over the years, even the great Juventus midfield when they had Vidal, Pirlo and Pogba, you know, which was probably the best midfield in Europe, play, you know, in terms of player for player. But even that midfield didn't keep the ball very well um, and often would get dominated in the central of midfield by weaker midfields because just it's just the way that Conte manages his team that they don't keep the ball that way. Um, they're more direct. So I think it's, um, yeah, I think Conte definitely does have to take some of the blame for, for what's, what we've seen in the last kind of week. Um, Mo, did you have a question for Carlo? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, uh, Carlo, I, I wanted to ask um, in general, um, 
the same question I, I asked uh, Patrick last week. Um, I, I feel like you know the points don't lie. The twenty eighth, uh, the twenty eighth uh, week, match week. Uh, this is the highest uh, points tally that uh, any Inter has uh, has compiled uh, um, since uh, two thousand, uh, since two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. I believe not even two, not even Mourinho in oh uh, nine or ten, oh uh, nine ten uh, had uh, as many points uh, by the twenty eighth week. Um, it, is this a case of uh, maybe uh, uh, you know uh, we're just uh, so scarred by what's happened as Interisti, of course, so scarred by what's happened in the last few years in terms of disappointment that we're just uh, blinded uh, by the fact that you know sometimes you just have uh, off games and sometimes the team is not fit and sometimes you've got two uh, starting uh, creative uh, carry the ball midfielders out injured and. Uh, a fast uh, centre-back uh, suspended, you know, uh, is this a case of it being a, a, a chronic failure, in your opinion, or is this just a convergence of unfortunate circumstances which are a result of the very peculiar situation that the season is in at the moment? Uh, what do you reckon? Or maybe it's a bit of both. Yeah, probably a bit of, a bit of everything, really. A bit of what I talked about, a bit of what you, you just mentioned. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, it's not a disaster. The situation Inter in. Um, I think everybody knew this is Antonio Conte's first season with Inter, and that he will be judged on on how Inter do next season. Um, so, you know, if Inter are in the same situation next season, in fact, I would go as far as say that if Inter don't win the Scudetto um, next season, then you can start talking about chronic failure um, and the fact that you know, you know, they have, yeah. haven't achieved what they should be achieving so I don't think it's a time to panic uh, I think it's a time for them to stick together um, we've already seen this week that that Inter are signing um, Hakimi from from I was going to say Dortmund but it's from Real Madrid um, and pretty much if you look at the market of the players that can possibly be signed for that right wing back position that, that Inter desperately needs a strengthening um, he's pretty much the best you can get on the market um, and, and at such a such a good price as well um, so you know no pandemic pandemic or no pandemic that's a great price um, so you know Inter are definitely strengthening I mean I think the club are doing wonders on the market in terms of team building um, you, you can't fault them the team building it, it's you know you've seen block by block it's been put there in order to win so it's just about carrying that through really um, I, I've maintained all along it's something that me and Nimra have argued about I maintain all along that this season was there for the taking um, it hasn't, I mean, it doesn't, it's not over yet. Eight points, there's still 10 games to go. It's, it looks like a slim chance that Inter can win the Scudetto this season, but it's not totally over. Um, but it's not a disaster. Um, I think it's next season where we really need to, really need to judge Conte and, and you know, this Inter project. Yeah, yeah agreed. 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 Did you have a follow up question, Mo, or did you? Uh... No, no, I just say, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a, I, I, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, more ambitious uh, targets for next season. I think all the pressure should be on the coaching staff and, and, and Conte in particular to deliver the goods next season. But I, I do agree with you that I think this season, um, it is a bit premature to be asking so much in such a transitional period for the club, both in terms of players, management, uh, organizational structure, etc. 
But yeah. you don't win, you don't win titles with uh, Danilo D'Ambrosio, uh, Ashley Young, Antonio Conte, and uh, Antonio Candreva and Victor Moses as your wing back in 2020. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it, 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 uh, you know this isn't co- you know I, as much as you want to blame Conte for these are the players he handpicked. He's not responsible for Victor Moses coming in January. He's not responsible for Ashley Young being pulled out of a retirement home in Old Trafford and dragged to Milan. <laughs> like, let's be honest. I mean, these are, you know, he wanted mm. them because he wants intensity on the wings. But you, ha- at the end of the day, the club is in its financial situation. It is. It's doing the best it can. It can. Beppe Marotta has, I mean, to me, that is the most important signing Inter have done in decades. Beppe Marotta, the I mean, the, 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 the fact, you know, so, so for me, that, this is a work in progress. And you and I, Mo, were always saying that this, this nonsense of Scudetto, it is nonsense this season. I understand what Carlo means that the season is there for the taking because Juventus have not been the Juve of old. And, and I agree to a certain extent that they were there for the taking. But, but really, but in, but but really the, they also have been. <laughs> yeah. No, Just but really, the they, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. What I'm saying is that they have been there yeah. for the taking, absolutely. But yeah. at the, and and they have been looking. You know, they they've not been the Juve of old, and and absolutely, there's been a chance for someone to take them. But you Inter aren't that team this year, and they weren't that team. And we both said that because in the beginning of yeah. the season that this Inter isn't ready. It's next year that that it is. Uh, but having said that, lo- looking at Juventus central midfield next season, it's Artur 23, Bentancur 23. 23 and Dejan Kulusevski 20 <laughs> you know so Juve have improved uh, so it's 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 not an issue of you know it's if, if Juve had been static and still playing Kedira and Matuidi we could have a different discussion but they're not going to they, they're going to they're going to strengthen really and so Kedira of, is static trust me he's very static <laughs> <laughs> no I mean he is static yeah no but let's <laughs> gone off the rails already after 10 minutes right uh, well, I'm going to hand you over to Billiam so he can keep us steady keep, keep, the, keep, the, ship, keep the ship steady Steering us back onto the uh, straight and narrow. Um, actually, my, my two questions that I kind of had uh, floating in my head have sort of already been answered. So instead, Carla, I'll, I'll pick your brains on two players who've disappointed a little in the last couple of games, um, or rather Ericsson and Lukaku. Um, what have you made of Ericsson since the lockdown? Because I'm a little confused, having seen him play so well against Napoli and Samp, and then sort of disappear a little in the last two matches. And as far as Lukaku is concerned, he's playing every week um, at the moment because Inter don't have an obvious replacement on the bench. And he did that for most of the season before the lockdown. So do you think him potentially being running out of steam is going to be an issue for the last few weeks of the season? Because I thought he looked a little tired yesterday against Parma. Yeah, um, I think with Lukaku, I, I think it's just it's come down to tiredness. I mean, he's played pretty much he might have even played every game for Inter. I can't remember a game he hasn't played for Inter well, the, this season. The, the, in, the Patrick Kendrick, who is sometimes of this parish, was doing a commentary for the World Food yesterday and he said that Lukaku had started 27 out of 28 games in the league. So I don't know about right. the Champions League and the Cup, but that's pretty much every yeah. match in the league. Uh, I, so. think, I, think he's, I think he has played in every single Serie A match. So I think he might have come on in the game that he didn't, he didn't play. Uh, he didn't start, but he's he's pretty much played every game anyway. Um, so it's, it's it's inevitable that you know he's he's going to tire. Um, and um, like Nimmer was saying before as well, I think probably Inter um, 
are paying the price for their lack of attackers. I mean, the only alternative in attack is um, Alexis Sanchez, who, let's be honest, nowadays is no more than a, just a 20 minutes, you know, little short burst at the end of the game. That's all he can really offer um, now. And, and you know, the first half of the season, I guess there was Politano, not really his kind of role, but at least that was another body. Um, so it's so into kind of our short up front. Um, so I think that that explains it for, for Lukaku. Um, I guess, yeah, a little bit of a concern that with so many games coming up, and especially as that he that he's not getting any help at the moment from Lautaro, um, who I think is a bigger concern right now um, than Lukaku, because I mean he's he's um, he scored one goal in in his last nine games, um, and even before the lockdown he was looking you know looking distracted really. Um, I think there's no doubt about it that Barcelona interest has, has affected him. Um, so he needs to get back, uh, get back on it, really. Um, as for um, who was the other? Sorry, who was the other player that you Ericsson. mentioned? Oh, Ericsson. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so Ericsson. Yeah, I'm like you. I'm, I'm completely confused because he was he was obviously struggled before the lockdown because they, they kind of couldn't get um, couldn't find a role for him. Um, and and Antonio Conte, you know, even said that you know the best thing, best, um, the best thing to come out of this this whole lockdown was that he had time to work tactically to find a role in the team for Ericsson. and it looked like it it worked wonders in those first two matches against uh, Napoli, where he was really involved, lots and lots of shots and efforts, and he scored. And the same again in the next game against Sampdoria, uh, and then it's just like he just totally collapsed these last two games. Uh, it can't be a physical reason. Um, it's really hard to, to to put your finger on it. Um, I, I mean, what I would say about Ericsson is I think he's the kind of player who you need to be kind of dominating territory to get the best out of him. Um, so that would involve obviously interplaying more of the game in the opposition half and him and Ericsson getting lots of touches and feeling the game, you know, getting the ball in from a, from the midfield and then playing one twos with with um with, with you know with an attacker like he did with the, for the goal uh, for Lukaku's goal against Sampdoria which was a really great move where he that's where he's at his best getting lots of touches and um maybe in the last two games because Inter as a team have been a bit tired um it's been maybe the game's been a bit more stretched at, at times and he hasn't been able to really you know He's not a player that's very good with a, with the game is stretched. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that explains it. But you'd, even still, you'd expect more from him. It's, it's been he has definitely been the biggest. He probably has been the biggest disappointment of these last two matches because um, there's really very little excuse for it. Really. Yeah, I mean, there was always a there was always a, a sort of a. Uh, an assumption or a criticism levied at him when he was at Tottenham that he would, you know, he'd he'd float through games sometimes and wouldn't always be at his influential best every week. Um, perhaps sometimes mm-hmm. limiting himself to to good free kicks and uh, dead ball situations. So maybe it's just maybe that's just a, a, the downside of a fantastic player. But I suppose we'll see as as time continues whether this is I, I, I just, would... a, just a week off or whether he'll or whether there's something more more concerning. I... I would like to. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure the the uh, digital uh, match analysis uh, tools these days uh, 
are, are pretty thorough in picking up stuff. But I, I'd like to see if there's a correlation between, let's say, like uh, the heat maps of uh, the attackers in front of him and, and uh, the wingbacks um, in spaces uh, versus uh, the impact that uh, Ericsson has. Because maybe it's just a factor of him, like you said, uh, like you said, uh, Carlo, it's a factor of the fact that uh, for the most part, uh, uh, when, when out of possession, Parma would really uh, lock down, whereas in the first half in particular against Samp, they were all over the place and there were all these spaces left and people were attacking the spaces, running in channels, etc. But um, yeah, maybe it's just a it's just a factor of the way the way the way teams have have lined up. And honestly, I I, I thought like the 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 playbook to frustrating uh, Conte was uh, was written by the Zerbi in the Sassuolo match and. Uh, Daversa basically took took that you know uh, mimic mimic that uh, setup completely. Uh, sit back, stretch the play against Inter in the, la- in, the in, in Inter's defensive third. Uh, play with the uh, attacking um, attacking uh, wide wide people very quickly, etc. And I just I reckon maybe maybe Ericsson is struggling or the team as a whole is struggling when when attacking a team that's so well well uh, well formed defensively well shaped defensively and well disciplined uh and like you said you know conte seems to have this uh single path towards uh towards defeating the opposition and 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 maybe it's time to be able to uh utilize a little bit uh more creativity in in, in trying to break these uh, teams down but um i look at the fixture list and i i think the two brightest Provincial teams were Sassuolo and and uh, and uh, Parma, and I hope the rest of uh, the rest of the provincial fixture list doesn't doesn't trouble us as much as these two teams. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the um, uh, I, I mean, I'm listening to you guys talk about the Ericsson thing, and I'm the thing is, um, is uh, what is it? Fabio Rav- Ravizzani um, said something today that I found really interesting, and he goes that he's saying that the you know, he doesn't, Ericsson doesn't offer anything defensively. So you need to have two central def, central midfielders behind him to clean up. A half-injured Barella and Nicolo Gagliardini or Borca Valero clearly aren't up to the task. Um, and, and, and I wonder, you know, will this look much better when you have Marcelo Brozovic, who clearly can never stops running when it comes to to, to distance covered and, and lungs of steel. He's one of the best in the Serie A, together with Barella and Kulusevski. But, I mean, just 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 because we were having this discussion the other week, I mean, will we even need Brozovic with Eriksen on the pitch? And I'd say, yeah, I think we do. I think with, with, with someone like, you know, so with Brozovic's read of the game and his, his, um, his stamina and, and ability to cover spaces that are blind, it's been quite evident that he is very much missed at this Inter. Inter. Do you, you, you guys agree with that, um, Carlo? Brozovic, yeah, I, mean, I think we've seen. Yeah, I, th- I think also from a from a point of view of just having a director, um, like a regista. I mean, I'm not sure you would really call Brozovic a classic regista, but just someone that can that can direct the play um, and also get the get the right kind of balls into to someone like an Ericsson. Um, which is which is so important, and you know we've seen we've seen that you know if Ericsson gets the ball in the right positions, he can do damage. Um, so maybe that that has you know that has worked against him in these last two games as well. Um, 
But um, yeah, I, I think Brozovic definitely, he definitely has. Um, something else that I've been thinking been about. The players, the backups, etc. You know. Yes, something else that I've been thinking about is I think if you're going to play with Eriksson as your number 10 player, man, do you need Sandro Tonali on that pitch behind him? Because his, I mean, because he's not a regista. He, to me, Tonali is a tra- is is a classic mezzala, and he's a box to box kind of player. With him and Barella, then you have the the the, the football IQ and physique, um, and to, to cover the hole that Eriksson leaves behind him, because he really does leave a hole big enough for a tank to drive through behind him. And I and I think that he should. I mean, I'm not. That's not criticism against him. I think it's. I think you know his his strengths are in the final third let him do that you know i'm not one of these i don't believe in this kind of you know this this ridiculous that you know some some people in football have this no everyone should defend and everyone should attack and that's no you know right man at the right place and 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 if erickson's strength is is in the final third then let him do that you know so so i um so i i think that for me with aside from hakimi tonali to me is really so important for inter to get right now what, what do you think about that? What would you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he'll be a, a fantastic signing. I, I've, I mean, I, 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 I said within the first ten minutes of seeing, and I thought that he he has everything to to be a you know a generational player. He 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 really is. He really is that talented, um, and I think he'll be an incredible buy. And he'll he like you said, he has the the tech technical. But he's a very complete player. But from a technical point of view, he. He has that ability to, to to link up and be on the same wavelength um, as someone like Ericsson. Um, and you know that will help so much um, to to get Ericsson to, to the level that he needs to be at. The only other thing I would add on on Ericsson um, is, and I, I think this is another weakness of Conte that we've seen throughout his career, is that, and it's more with the formation, is that with Conte's kind of three-five-two. I mean, I know this is more of a three-four-one-two formation. It, there can sometimes be quite a big gap between each department, so between the defence and the midfield, and then the midfield and the attack. And I don't think that helps someone like Ericsson, um, because also the wing backs being quite spread out. Um, it's not the you know that everyone's not so close together that you can have that kind of play that short passing game, which Ericsson kind of is very good at. Um, so I wonder whether you know that kind of works against someone like Ericsson, that feeling of having players close to him all the time. Yeah, can I can I just say something to that yeah, point sure. as well, uh, if I may? Yeah, honestly, um, the we've been criticizing Skriniar all se- all season long because his performance, defensive performances have have um, not been. I mean, totally for everyone to see, have not been as. He, he's not a catastrophe. He's not a calamity at all. But he's not as amazingly impressive and impervious as he was last season defensively. But what we saw yesterday, for sure, is that. To Carlo's point, with Skriniar and Bastoni on the field, these two players are so savvy on the ball. Of course, De Vrij's uh, passing, you know, is is not never in doubt. But the 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 the, the technical ability and and the attacking um, uh, mindedness of Skriniar and Bastoni is such that I think the whole team as a whole plays offensively so much better as we saw of course when Bastoni was subbed on for Godin 
but the, the, the whole team, the, the, the lines are so much closer when in possession. The team is so much more adventurous going forward. The ball is carried forward uh, across the lines uh, much more effectively uh, with the attacking, with the offensive contribution of these guys. So I think, I think as a whole, uh, we, might be, we, we, we just might be going around in circles around the, the, the core point, which is this squad is incomplete and requires depth. And I think the starting 11, when fit, when fully fit, is is pretty impressive and and does very very well for the most part, but uh, unfortunately the the replacements whether it's you know an aging Godin or you know let let's not get started on poor Anokia or uh, or you know uh, D'Ambrosio and you know so it, it's it really is a matter of of the fact that the squad is is very shallow and uh, yeah. and, and when, when everyone's this- here. This has been the problem for the past ten years, and we all know this. And, yeah. And, and strides have been taken to the in the right direction, but we're far from there yet. And the fact that we've gone twenty five minutes without even talking about Gagliardini missing open goal from one meter is 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 beyond me. And I want to talk <laughs> because I, I I I I can't. I have that is the worst miss I have seen in my life. I've never seen anything like it, honestly. And I want to hear you. You tweeted something at me, Carlo. Uh, about who was it in Liverpool in the 80s? Um, I still think oh, this is worse. Ronnie Rosenthal. Yeah, it was yeah. Ronnie Rosenthal. I think it was 1992. Yeah. Um, it's known, it's kind of widely regarded as the worst miss in, in Premier League history. This is worse. Um, well, I'm not, is sure worse. It was, I'm not sure if it was the season before the Premier League was formed. It was, I think it was 1992. And, I think yeah, it was the it first was... season of the Premier League. So okay, 1993. Villa, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was 92. I wasn't sure what part of the year it was. Um, but yeah, it's kind of widely regarded as the worst miss in, in English football history. Um, but yeah. No, but this <laughs> was... is worse. This is worse because he can at least blame that someone's moving. There is no one there. This, this, like this, it's literally like he should get a... I mean, how? how? I still don't... I will never understand that. I will never understand. And and it's, and it's And I think, to be honest, to be fair play to him, I think... He got he took it really well. I mean, because he's been absolutely rinsed. Um, and what he did today about what was it? What was it he put out on Instagram and Twitter saying that whoever uh, whoever crit- like what was it whoever hits him like hits him the hardest on social media he'll donate the Sassuolo um, <laughs> the, the the jersey he wore for the Sassuolo game to him because he doesn't want to see it ever again. Like and and I think that's the way you got to do it. But wow, I mean. What, do you guys think this is the worst miss, or can you think of any worse miss than this? Well, it's been, I a, have, it's been I have an interesting week because we've miss. had. Oh, sorry. Will, no, will, no, you can. Yeah, Mo, you go. Okay. Well, I was yeah. going to say, it's, it's been no, a I have a... Yeah. <laughs> sorry, there's a delay which is causing the problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to say. Oh. I'm going to say. Nemo, decide Mo. for us. Yes, yes. Mo, go. All right. I'm sorry, Will. But uh, um, I, I have a pretty obscure miss. It was a, a, an Egypt uh, World Cup qualifier, and, and there's a running jinx uh, amongst Egyptians uh, on how we don't just don't qualify for the World Cup. And one of, one of those was a, a pivotal uh, game against Libya away, and our left wing back, wing back was literally one yard away from the goal, one yard, and we had to score, we had to win the, the match. And uh, he just uh, he managed not 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 to hit the crossbar. He just completely missed the target. From a yard away, it was infinitely more difficult to do what he did than than to actually score. And and that that, that I wish I could find. I tried to look for a GIF 
uh, of, of that miss uh, when when you had tweeted uh, uh, or retweeted uh, Carlos' tweet, but I just I couldn't find it. But this that was one of the most ridiculous misses I've ever in the history of misses. You know, it's 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 really 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 obscene. Mm. Will, yeah. you, you you what was yours? I was gonna be slightly more mainstream than Egypt's previous past World Cup qualifying campaigns and say that that. It's been a, a week of bad misses in Italy. We had quite a few uh, that I saw the last few. I saw Valerio Verre for Verona had a terrible miss from pretty much on the goal line the day before the Sassuolo game when they were playing uh, Napoli. Uh, and then you had, um, I think Bernardeschi had a pretty bad miss as well against Lecce on uh, a few days ago as well. So there's something there's something about an open goal which has clearly lost appeal to footballers this week because no one seems to want to score um, in these last few days with the... Uh, with a goal gaping, but in terms of worst of all time, I, I you've caught me on the hop. I would uh, I would have to think about that for a while, but it's certainly the worst I've seen in European football this season. Because as you said, there is no one there. You know, with Ronnie Rosenthal, he's running round the keeper and is sort of maybe not on in balance, and he's he's not right next to the goal. He's a little bit further away than Gagliardini. When uh, when it, then the miss happened. I thought maybe that one of Consigli's arms had sort of blocked his. His, um, his shot and that might have put him off but you can see quite clearly from the replay that his arm is not in the way and it really is just a well it should be a tap in and somehow he's conspired to to uh, to win the crossbar challenge shall we say so to try and put a positive spin on it um, <laughs> it would have been much more at home in, in that kind of competition um, but yeah I think it just goes back to what we were saying before you know this is a team that has 13 good starters and you need 18 really if you're going to compete for the league that's what Juventus always had down the years you know you need you need to be able to make six changes to a starting 11 and for there to not be any difference in the quality and we can't do that at the moment. when you make six changes with this squad you take a risk which is what happened on in midweek um so that it's it's not something that can be solved very easily but you know when, me, when you see misses like that you realize that you realize maybe a little bit more about why behind Lukaku and Lautaro there's no one else who scored three goals more than three goals this season I mean the thing the, the thing that that really gets me um is with the Sassuolo game is that the, if there is no moderation with Antonio Conte when we were playing in the Champions League it was as if it was it was against the law for him to make more than one two changes when we were playing every three days in the Champions League in Serie A and his biggest complaint complaint was about we've bought players from Sassuolo and Cagliari now we interplay one, two games in 14 days and then play Sassuolo and he makes six, seven changes. It's like, it's like there's no moderation. Why not? You know, it's either everything or nothing with him. And it's so, and when you have him do stuff like that, then you need to have 22, 23 players of the equal, of equal quality in order for this to work. Um, like like Carlo was talking about earlier, that that he he just he gets it wrong when he gets it wrong, he gets it so wrong, and that drives me a bit mad. And and another thing of that is is a little bit of a square peg round hole discussion. Why was Diego Godin playing to the left of the back three? When in God's when in this galaxy has Diego Godin ever done well playing in like a wing back positions or? So that we suddenly, after two, three months of him struggling, on top of a season where he struggled, we put him, and then we put him on the left, one of the most right-footed players in the history of the game. I mean, to me, that was just, why why not play Danilo D'Ambrosio there, who has an experience of actually being a fullback, and on, on both sides, and play Gooding to the right, where he's, 
you know, although he struggled, at least it's some sort of familiarity. That's, you know, that, that, that's, that's another thing that was driving me mad. And, and one thing, and, and the final thing is, I don't know if, if Diego Godin is, is past it or not. And I wanted to ask you guys if you think it. I don't know if you think he's finished. Oh, clearly he's past his peak. But in, when I read that signing, I was convinced that he was being bought for that central position in the back three, not to play on one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the sides where you need to have some players that either are fast or B, know how to read the game really well and have a great explosiveness to their, to their game like Skriniar. Um, what do you, th- what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts, Carlo? Well, <laughs> is he finished? I mean, the way that Jovino went past him, like he was, you know, peak Thierry Henry. <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, gosh, you know, this guy's career is over. And it was, to be honest, it was quite sad to see him um, yesterday. And like you said, he was stuck out on the left, um, and he just. He, he he looked like an old man. He really did. Um, in his defence, <laughs> in his defence, I would say that at his, this stage of his career, and having played so many years, uh, Atletico um, Madrid in a in a four man backline, um, so playing in a two man centre back pairing for a team that defends very very deep. Um, yes. You know, everyone has seen Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone. I mean they a lot of games, even against smaller teams, they just play in their penalty area. Um, so he does, he never had to be mobile. He just had to defend his penalty box. And, and he's been, you know, one of the best defenders of his generation at doing that. And, and the same with Uruguay. I mean, Uruguay as well play very, you know, they play Simeone football, really. Uruguay, mm, you know, very sure. kick every kick everything that moves and, and you know, <laughs> defend, very, defend very deep. And, and so... Is kind of like he's moved to Inter and not that Inter play with a particularly high line, but he's come in and it's just been at this stage of his career to suddenly move to a to a three man defence. And, and I do think he has played in the three man backline with Uruguay earlier uh, in his career. But to, to suddenly change from everything that he's been doing at Atletico um, to suddenly, you know, change to a three man backline. Um, and then get exposed the way that the Inter have, because he's had defenders with him who are not particularly quick um, as well. I mean, Skriniar, I wouldn't say he's lightning fast. I mean, he's got a bit no. of pace, but he's not lightning fast. Um, De Vrij is not quick at all. Um, Bastoni, I don't think is massively quick. Um, you know, and then obviously the backups are certainly not. Um, and we've seen this season that Inter have really been destroyed on the counter-attack. They've been so susceptible, susceptible to, to counters this season, Inter. Um, so I think it's just, that's in his defence, I think he's he's been just, you know, he's been thrown into something that, you know, he's just not ready for and at this stage of his career, his career it's too late for him to adapt to. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he is 34 and, you know, he's he doesn't seem to have the legs anymore, mm. to be honest. Will? I would say that the, the Godin has not been helped, obviously, by the position because, as you said, it would have been more comfortable for him to play in the middle of a back three. But because De Frey obviously had experience of doing that so well at Lazio, I suppose that's why Antonio Conte wants to play with De Frey. And also because De Frey was, was a very important part of this team already before he arrived. So um, don't do anything to, to unsettle his, his excellent form. But the other thing with Godin is, 
as Carla was just saying, there's been a huge problem with what you know they, they call negative transitions. You know, when when we're caught on the counter attack, and that is not just a problem with the back three. You know, there is a huge problem with the midfield filter in this team, and it's really heightened when Brozovic is not there. And you saw it in the, that game against Sassuolo, particularly, and also against Parma. Um, at the weekend, that Inter concede so many chances and goals from central moves. You know, the first goal against Sassuolo, there's there's a there's a there's like a, a a whole you know no man's land of space between for for Sassuolo to advance into and to score. And it just took me back to that um, that poem that was written in the war that says you know things fall apart, the center cannot hold, and that's the problem. You know, this team is there's there's such a a a, a, a I can't think of the right, a chasm, I suppose, of space. And um, and that doesn't help if you're 34 years old, you're playing slightly out of position. I mean, we all, everyone piled in on Gagliardini for his miss, but where was he going for Sassuolo's first goal? There was only two players that were sort of trying to mark whoever was on the ball now, but he was sort of there in, in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and the man that he was supposed to be marking was metres away and had all the space in the world to advance. Um, so that's maybe the more concerning thing if you want to look at, that a freakish miss that was probably never going to happen again in his career. Um, so I think it's a it's a combination of factors. But to take it back to Godin, he's certainly not been put in the best possible conditions to succeed at, to, in the twilight years of his career. So I do have some sympathy with him. Um, I, I I wouldn't say that he needs to definitely be sort of sh- shifted out because if one of this team's problems is sort of um, the ability to to see out games, to be to be wise and to know how to win things. I think we can clearly say that is a problem after what we've seen in the last couple of games. He's probably a good presence in the dressing room. I mean, we, we, don't, we can't really know that without being inside, but he's the kind of person that Inter need in order to return to their former glories, even if he may not be any longer the kind of player. Um, but again, that's that's not something really we can we can comment on. I'd rather have Diego Godin in the Ranocchia role in is at this Inter than have Andrea Ranocchia in the Inter squad. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> I have had enough a decade. I can't remember who it was um, who called who called Ranocchia, Gagliardini, Danilo D'Ambrosio, Antonio Candreva, called them coach killers. How many careers have these guys that in coaches' careers at Inter have these guys killed? I mean, it's just, it's, it's enough already, you know? <laughs> Get yeah. them out. They're, they're probably lovely, amazing, brilliant people off the, you know, lovely human beings, mm-hmm. but it's not a social club, is it? It's 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 no. team to win football games, and they're not good enough. It's 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 this that drives me crazy. How have we extended Andrea Ranocchia's contract twice this past decade? Like that that doesn't make sense yeah. to me. How have we? How how has this been done? You know? <laughs> I was just going to say we've we've played 17 games in the year 2020 so far. Do you know how many clean sheets we've kept? This is all competitions, by the way, not just the league. Two. Yeah. And one of yeah, them was against Ludogorets. So, <laughs> which, yeah, that you know, doesn't count. Be, yeah, so the other, the, the other one for, for clarity was away at Udinese when we won 2 0. But, you know, this, this was the best defence in the league at the start of the year. And you see it last um, on Sunday and you think, how, how was that the same season as this? The, it's, they, they, it's, it's so easy to get in and have shots and take chances and, 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 and score goals against this team now. I mean, the, 
the Sassuolo's third goal as well was incredibly soft when you from um, from last week when you know Magnani went in and scored. We're, we're now making players like Magnani scored. Gian Giacomo Magnani hadn't scored since Siracusa Paganese in November 2017 before this. That was in Serie C, and he's coming in and <laughs> off the bench and tapping in from a yard out. You know, it's, it's remarkable that that's like, impressive knowledge. That is. I saw it on Twitter. I didn't. I didn't know that. It was, uh, yeah. I can't claim that one. Um, although that has just reminded me of another tweet that were, that was um, quite amusing. There was, um, you know, a, a bastone is a walking stick in Italian, and someone said that um, after Moses crossed for bastone yesterday. Well, Moses and bastone have been a winning partnership for thousands of years. And a picture of Moses holding a walking stick, <laughs> this is, um, and uh, sort of with his arms are held aloft, uh, which is a nice sort of uh, brilliant play on yes. words. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Mm. Yes, but it is, it is remarkable. You know, this team yeah. is, it's not a Conte defence, is it? And I don't, when I say defence, I don't just mean the back throw. I mean the, the defensive phase, as we always say. It's such a, such a mishmash. Though. And it only takes, you know, a Brozovic injury and, you know, a Vecino injury. You know, and suddenly everything seems very panicky and, and unreliable. And it wasn't ideal, certainly, that for the Parma match, Conte changed all three members of his back three following the Sassuolo game. That's always a risk. Uh, when you're but you're see, already well, struggling defensively. But, but see, this is what I mean. And then he puts Godin to the left, the most right-footed player in the world. He puts him to the left of that back three. And anyone knows if you play with a back three, you need to have a, those two who plays on the either side of that that player in the middle needs to be quick, or like Skriniar, who isn't lightning quick, or he's not quick at all. But what he, his strength is his explosiveness and his read of the game that allows him yeah. to take to to be one step ahead. Diego Godin has never had that. You know, he's never been that. And, and and I don't understand this. Again, this is, for me, this is square peg, round hole thing. And and Conte does yeah. this where he thinks that his stubbornness that has won him everything else in life will go through this. And no, it won't. It'll just get you sacked. And I know yeah. that because I've seen, the, I've, I've we've watched this movie before. We know what happens when you when you play Danilo D'Ambrosio and Gagliardini. It ends up with you not working mm. for the next two years. It is, it, it. Yeah, it is unusual um, and and surprising how bad Inter's defense has been, or how many goals Inter have been conceding for for an Antonio Conte team. Because we we've seen throughout his career that he always builds his teams first and foremost around a strong defense and solidity. And, you know, we just haven't seen that with Inter. Um, they have looked like they're always going to concede. They look very vulnerable in the counter-attack. Um, I do think that um, a lot of their defenders, with the exception of De Vrij, are not suited to, um, to a three-man defence. Um, maybe Bastoni Absol- as well. Absolutely. I, think, I, absolutely. Do think that, I do think that that's a, that's a big problem. Godin, we've already, that, we've already this, agree- this all agreed. exactly why Skriniar, I didn't... Yes. Skriniar is not for me. Skriniar is looks he 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 looks uncomfortable in a in a yes. in a three man defence. Whether he's on the right or the left, I think he's uncomfortable um, when he has to move out of that central zone and cover, say, to the right or to the left if a player's running to him. He looks uncomfortable. He doesn't move very well laterally for me. He doesn't turn very well. He needs to feel that, as if he's next to someone and defend his zone, his zonal area. Um, This is exactly why, precisely the very reason why I was on this show and I told all of you guys 
that I did not want Antonio Conte because for me, Skriniar is patrimonio del Inter. He's the future of Inter. He's the future captain. And this was what I was worried about. I cannot see him working in a back three. Now, the fact that he's a fighter and, and doesn't want to give up and, and he wants to stay at Inter and he wants to win with Inter, that's the reason it's worked kind of when he's played to the right of that back three. But, but other than that, yes, this is precisely it. This is why I didn't want Conte. And I'm really, really worried now that Inter are going to sell Milan Skriniar to suit, to buy in someone like Kumbula or someone else who works in a back three to suit Antonio Conte. So, what? Yeah. We're going to buy Armando Izzo and get rid of Skriniar. Yeah, that's, no, that's how we what, solve it. it exactly. No, but you know what I mean? No, this is exactly what I'm fearing. <laughs> Because th- this yeah. is what I, you know, th- this is what scares me. That when you sell, you sell Skriniar, you do something stupid interi and sell Skriniar for three beans and a packet of cigarettes to, to Real Madrid and you replace him <laughs> with Armando Izzo. You know what I mean? Like, this is Campagnaro, but with, with, but with a sleazier hairdo. I mean, this is, yeah. this, uh, it's just, it just drives me mad. I hope, he can, I hope he can adapt. I mean, I would have said that Andrea Bazzagli is sort of a similar, sort of similar to Skriniar. Yeah, he did adapt to that right centre-back role. And I wouldn't have had him down stylistically as someone that would be perfect for a three-man back line. Um, but he did in the end. So, you know, I wouldn't write him off, but he, he does always strike me as being uncomfortable. But the one thing I would like to ask you guys is, is there a lack of pace in the inter-team? A lack of speed? Because there's yes. definitely a lack of speed in the, in the defence. There definitely is a lack of speed on the wing-back roles. Um, you know, so I, I well, think the wing back is... roles in the wing back roles, there's a lack of IQ, there's a lack of quality, there's a lack of speed. There's yeah. a lack of, I mean, what do you think? If we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about um, dodgy wing backs, we should probably pay homage to Ashley Young's 12 minute cameo against Sassuolo. He came oh, on, uh, got, uh, was guilt, should have should have given away a penalty for a handball, was then caught offside in a very promising position, and then gave away the the penalty for Sassuolo's I mean, equaliser, which bizarrely best, was in exactly the same spot as the one that Inter got their penalty for that 45 minutes ago. That's just a coincidence. That it's, called a David Luiz, uh, it's uh, called a David Luiz hat-trick. No, no, that's, that, that's the, no, no. It was to me that was the best imitation of Sully Montari since 2010 <laughs> that I have seen anyone. Uh, what the hell was I would, that? I mean, Jesus. I would say that you know, with um, with the pace issue, there's certainly an issue of pace when you're playing Gagliardini and Borcavalero in midfield. I mean, the first half against Sassuolo was really, really slow, even for this kind of post-lockdown world where everyone's a little bit rusty and, and you haven't got the crowd to push you on. There was so many touches on the ball, went into a, were, and it was just giving Sassuolo all the time in the world to, to organise themselves and, re, and reposition. You know, Borca would get the ball and, and then sort of take a few touches and then turn back and pass it back to Buranocchio, um, uh, I think he was in the centre of the defence. Uh. You know, it it's so difficult to get a game going when that happens. And, and the thing that was positive about the Samp game, to flip it on its head, was that for once we played fast, incisive football and Brozovic wasn't there to give us that tempo. And that mm. suggested, and that's what led us on to the whole Duny Brozovic, if you've got Ericsson sort of um, debate. Yeah. Which, which hasn't aged tremendously well um, no. with, with a couple of weeks, um, <laughs> of a couple of weeks. So, yeah, there is an issue. Um, but uh, I still think if you have if you have Brozovic fit, if you have, um, dare I say, it, the, the fo- footballer formerly known as Stefano Sensi fit, you know, you'd have a lot more pace <laughs> in that midfield. Um, mm. Barella's kind of going up and down, but he's normally good for that kind of thing as well. But I thought he was quite lacklustre against Parma. So, yeah, there's definitely an issue. Um, and it's and it, it, you know the just sort of underlines how difficult it is to play that wing back position because there were 
you know, again, I was watching that Sassuolo game and, and Conte, he, he plays his teams with kind of a 3-2-5 when they're attacking. You know, the wingbacks are so far up the pitch, which in turn obviously causes problems for defenders who aren't comfortable playing on, on a wide side of a back three, such as Godin and Skriniar, but that's another debate. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely an issue of pace. Um, but when you play like that, you're always going to have an issue of pace because eventually everyone's going to get run into the ground, even if they are quick. So, yeah. It, you know, I mean, it's, come, it's gone to the point where you can literally start setting your watch against when, what changes Antonio Conte is going to do and when he's going to do them. 70th minute, I, wing backs I thought it was really, I thought it was really lovely tribute that Stellini didn't make them that those changes either before the 70th minute. It's almost as if he was, he'd, he thought he'd, <laughs> he was scared he'd be told off by Conte if he went against his kind of mm. custom of, of waiting until minute 70. Because actually, I, I tell you, it was minute 69. Yeah, Sanchez came off Ericsson. So he's he's broken the rules a little bit. He's dipped into the 60s. <laughs> living on the you know, edge. <laughs> just a slight rebellion. Like when you don't no, but I mean, if undo your top button at school. Just a tiny, but... tiny rebellion. That <laughs> <protected>. <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's move on. We're playing, uh, we're playing Brescia and Bologna. Brescia, uh, interplay Brescia at home on Wednesday. And um, it's, it's, I mean, Brescia awful. There's really they nothing. Are crap. They yeah. are absolutely awful. <laughs> and they, they are the crap manager. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what? Inter, Inter can play Ranocchia, Godin, D'Ambrosio Shut at the back. Up. They can they can bring they can bring Kuzmanovic. They can bring they can bring <laughs> owl I can see out the window. <laughs> they can they can bring back Kuzmanovic, they can bring back Jonathan, <laughs> they can bring they can bring back Gresco, they can bring back all the all your all, all your stars. stars. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and they'll oh, still God. be pressure. I hope don't, so. don't don't jinx it. Stop doing that. Yeah. I know what you're doing. Stop doing yeah. that. No. Mo, help me out here. The gob has gone crazy. <laughs> Listen, yeah, you I know, but you uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think this yeah. is a situation where, uh, yeah, it's uh, no, no amount of uh, black magic and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, you don't need yeah. to, you don't need Luis yeah. Figo to to run over a cat, you know, a black cat to, <laughs> to, to to make sure you win, like he like he infamously did or allegedly. Don't want him to sue me because he actually oh, sued. Yeah, he actually he, thre- he threatened to sue Libra newspaper after it was the, the penultimate game of the season in the 2007-2008 season and. Inter, I think Inter got three games with three games left of the season. Inter were, uh, I think, six points, six points clear. Um, so they were romping to the title, and then they lost a game, and then they drew a game, and, and they were only one point ahead going into the last game. And everyone was panicking, what's going on? What's going on? And um, the Inter squad blamed it on a on this um, <laughs> stray black cat that was kind of had been seen regularly, uh, you know, around the grounds, in and around the grounds of of the, the training ground at Piano Gentile. And, and um, yeah, the, there was a story on Libro newspaper um, that, um, that it, Figo um, took his SUV and, and run it over and killed it um, and in order to, you know, to, to kill the black magic. And, um, you know, and then they took into one the title the last day of the season. It was the one where... Um, with those, Parma, yeah, yeah the two goals. <laughs> so, so, yeah. No need, no need to run over any black cats this this uh, <laughs> this this week. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
Um, right. Let's um, let's go on to the Bologna game. Um, so I mean that's I mean that Inter playing two home games, if I'm not mistaken, is both against uh, both yes. at home. One, yeah, it's um, it doesn't really matter. It's in fr- all we all we're treated to is is the cursing by Antonio Conte anyway, or Romelu mm-hmm. Lukaku losing his marbles against Victor Moses, which made me <laughs> laugh a lot. <laughs> that was that was great. I did actually like that. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if this was just the this game specific or whether it'll be more. Uh, it'll become a more pronounced trend over the next few weeks. But I did notice that at San Siro, I thought you could pick up the players' voices a lot better than at other grounds where I've been watching. Because I thought the the, the Parma game, you couldn't quite hear the the shouting so much. Whereas in Sassuolo, I could hear. Andrea Considi's every word at set pieces as Sassuolo were barking out instructions to his players. So that that's one good thing that's come out of that. Like you can actually hear these sort of gems, like as Conte was saying, and uh, as uh, Neil was saying about um, uh, Lukaku. Victor, and, and yeah, Lukaku losing on Victor Moses was absolute gold. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, it's one for the ages. So what are we? I mean, okay. So Inter, we're all agreeing that Inter are going to win against Brescia, even with with uh, the the all stars. <laughs> so never yeah. mind that. Never mind that. So no, no need to talk about that. But what about the Bologna game? Because I sense a little bit of a banana skin here as well. Because Mihailovic, uh, I mean, okay, he's not the best coach in the world, but he knows how to trick. You know, he can cause problems for them. And Inter struggled. Uh, in the reverse fixture away uh, before Valentino Lazaro, remember him? Uh, he 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 came on and changed that game. So, um, Mo, you're Mr. Positivity. Give us some positivity. I'm not positive going into that game. No, I'm, I'm definitely not positive uh, going into that game. I just think, uh, I, I, I think it, it might be a case of lesson learned uh, from, uh, from Sassuolo and, uh, and Parma. I think... Uh, uh, I think any any team that wants to frustrate Conte will will try that. Uh, you know, uh, pacey wide men up front, uh, quick transitions, etc., etc. Blah blah blah. You know, um, so I, I I would imagine that uh, Conte will have prepared sufficiently and and, and realized that the the importance of the Bologna game. Um, I look. I, I I think at the end of the day, much has been made of uh, the Parma. The, the, the Parma comeback. I think the Sassuolo match was definitely Inter's uh, to lose. We lost uh, absolutely between uh, between uh, Ashley Young's contribution and, and, and Gagliardini's miss. It was not a bad game. It was it was a sloppy. It was an unfortunate defensive game. It was an uncontrolled uh, defensive game. It was poor uh, starting lineup selection. But overall, it wasn't a bad game over the 90 minutes. I think the Parma game was a con- direct consequence of that. But I think the positivity that the team has accumulated in goodwill from the Parma game is sufficient to easily take handle uh, Brescia and then subsequently dispose dispatch of uh, dispatch with uh, Bologna. So I, I I I'm trying to be objective here, but I also I I can't see past six points. Uh, God uh, help me if I'm wrong. Yeah, um, where, where are you on this, Will? Uh, yeah, I agree. Brescia should be a, a relatively straightforward game. I wonder if, if Conte's ever going to arrest Lukaku, then it's, it's, it's in that kind of game that he needs to do it. Uh, we'll, we'll find out from his team selection. I suspect he probably won't. Uh, the Bologna game is, is tougher. 
Mihailovic obviously won. This was Mihailovic's first game at Bologna last season when we had the, the thrilling spectacle of Andrea Ranocchio going up front for the last few minutes just before <laughs> the um, the Icardi stuff really started. A couple of weeks later, that was that was in the middle of the. Uh, I was probably I was probably the lowest, the one of the worst matches that we played last season under Spalletti. But uh, so I hope that doesn't happen again. It's a tough match. Bologna, as you said, gave us a good game uh, in the first game. But the, the problem I have with with predicting these games is that. You know, we've talked about a lot of tactical and, and maybe physical issues that were, were highlighted by these last two games. But the Parma game really seemed to me like a sort of gave me the impression that this team has kind of um, uh, given up a bit after you know realising that they couldn't win the Scudetto. We've seen this in previous seasons where Inter have realised they can't obtain their objective and they've kind of um, detached themselves from the rest of the season. And they've turned in these very... Uh, slow performances that don't make sort of any sense given what we've seen for the previous six months so I'm not massively optimistic in terms of the rest of the season um, I hope it was just a sort of a sluggish day that was um, that that is was turns out to be a bit of a blip um, because against Bologna you, you're not gonna be able to play like that you will be you will be shown up by these teams um, so it's it's a bit of an unknown quantity but I, I hope they find the motivation within themselves to keep going because even if the first place is now looking very difficult um i would like to finish second because that would be uh, at least something to cling on to in terms of uh, visible progress under conte but most importantly of all i do not want to finish behind Giampiero gasperini and atalanta Mm. for the second season running because Mm. he will keep talking about that for months and months on end he was already asked before we came back my objective for the rest of the season is to is to overhaul Inter. And you just know he would love it. And so, you know, a third consecutive fourth place finish would be depressing. So I'm glad that we're not in a, in a scrap to, to qualify for the Champions League because I think the win yesterday pretty much secures it along with Roma's defeat to, to Milan. The gap's now 13 points. Um, so that should be fine. But, you know, I want to finish second. I want these games to mean something. So I hope that we see some motivation and some some intensity and some oomph because that's what was missing from these last two games i just got the sense that they'd kind of dropped their heads a bit after what happened at the end of midweek so carlo where what do you think is going to happen against bologna yeah and just to just to carry on that point from will um the last game of the season into have is against atalanta so that will be a that'll definitely be a taste mm-hmm. uh... final game if uh, if there's uh, something to play for <laughs> They're playing for third place or second place. Um, yeah, but um, the Bologna game, Bologna is a, definitely a potential banana skin. I'd, I'd put them on the, a similar kind of level to to, to Parma, really. Um, similar kind of game as well in that they've got some nippy kind of outside forwards um, like Musa Barrow and uh, Sansone and Orsolini. Um, so... You know they 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 they've got talent. They've got some talented players there. Unlike Brescia, who literally have nothing. I mean, they've got Tonali, who's playing with with ten players who are just like levels below him in terms of ability. And there's nothing up front. So so yeah. But Bologna is definitely um, they've got to keep an eye on that game. And and that's why I think Conte would would do well to definitely to rest Lukaku against Brescia. Try and rest a few players. Um, in that game so that they're, they're fresh for the Bologna game because Bologna with Mihailovic's coach you will have to you won't they won't be able to just turn up and win that game they will have to put in the effort 
because um, he'll give, he will give you he will give them a game Mihailovic he always demands you know a loss out of his players mm, yeah okay fair enough I'll, I'll I'll join and say six points as well I think it'll be I think against Brescia it will be angst and uh, you know I will win but it won't be pretty and I think against against, against Mihailovic will will it'll look better than against Brescia. And uh, they'll, they'll they'll win as, they'll win that one as uh, as well. But it won't. But it will be it'll be better than Parma and Brescia. Uh, but it won't be pretty. That's where I am on those. Right. Let's uh, move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of, and criticize someone or something heavily in the world of football. Starting with the negativity. This week's uh, Moji by our resident Moji, Mr. Kalamak Garganese. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, the Mudgy of the week, I think I'm going to have to go with Diego Godin. I mean, he's been, you know, one of the best defenders of the last decade, um, an absolute stalwart for for Atletico Madrid. And, you know, this season, you know, Inter signed him on a Bosman. Um, uh, You know, a lot of people were immediately saying that he was, the, you know, the signing of the season. Inter was signing a a world-class defender. And, you know, he's, he's really been, you know virtually a disaster really for Inter um he's he's you know only made 13 um starts in, in Serie A he's lost his place in the team and you know even when he does get a chance now he he really struggles and he didn't you know there's no game that he struggled more than the, the game against against Parma I mean he was really torn apart by um by Jovino and, and Kulusevski and it was one moment in the first half where where Jovino just completely left him for dead. Um, and it was quite sad to, to, to watch, really, to, to watch a great player. It kind of reminded me of, of, um, of like Lothar Mateus at Euro 2000, when, when Georgie Hadji, who was, was, was like 35 himself, like completely left him for dead. <laughs> and, you know, it's sad to see when you, when you see a great player um, who's passed his best and, um, you know, really getting humiliated like that so so he's my mochi of the week yeah uh i i can't believe you didn't go with gagliardini because <laughs> that misses yeah um, <laughs> i mean it's just you imagine you i mean you you play football all your life you're uh no never mind right uh let's uh, move on to something <laughs> let's move on to something much more comical this week's frog was presented by mr billiam beckman e clamoroso autogol di ranocchia Yes, the frog of the week uh, is Hamburg because they have uh, they have very gracefully reminded us that actually it's not only Inter that do stupid things and put their fans through the ringer. Um, Hamburg obviously were until a couple of years ago were the only team to have never been relegated from the Bundesliga when it was formed in 1963. They had um, they had a clock in their stadium that chronicled uh, exactly how long it had been. Um, in terms of how long they've been in the Bundesliga. They obviously went down a couple of years ago. Uh, last year, they were in the promotion slash playoff spots for 26 out of 34 match days and ended up finishing fourth, one point outside the promotion playoff spot. Uh, and this year, they were in the top three for 30 out of 34 match days. And they ended up in exactly the same place, fourth uh, with one point separating them from a potential promotion playoff spot. 
Um, they did it in quite a dramatic fashion, though, in a very sort of Inter-esque fashion, um, very similar to what we almost did last season when we nearly missed out on the top four. Um, they they had a, a head-to-head match last week against Heidenheim, who were the team that were below them. They only needed to get a point to keep everything in their own hands heading into the last game. They took the lead. Uh, we're leading with 10 minutes left and then they conceded a 96th minute winner. So they lost that one 2-1 and therefore went into the final day not with their destiny in their own hands. Um, so that meant that on Saturday they needed uh, Heidenheim to slip up and for them to win. Heidenheim did lose, therefore opening the door for Hamburg. But instead of Hamburg winning, they did a sort of um, they did an, an inter Sassuolo from a couple of years ago when Sassuolo had nothing to play for and came and won. Um, they lost to... S.V. Sandhausen, who I've never heard of, <laughs> and they lost 5-1. Um, and not only did they lose 5-1, the person who scored their fifth goal was a guy called Dennis Diekmeyer, who was a defender who apparently played for Hamburg more than 200 times in the Bundesliga and never scored once. So it really <laughs> is it really is like sort of interconceding to Samuel Ilongo um, all those years ago, or, you know, that sort of, that person that you, you thought could never hurt you, in fact, turns up and and has his, has his day. Um, so, you know, in a week when we've welcomed back somewhat begrudgingly um, this, this notion of Pazza Inter, which we thought we might have banished at least for, for a little while, um, I think it's only worth reminding us that there are a couple of teams, not many, but there are a couple of other teams out there who are capable of doing the same sort of stupid things. Sure. Let's uh, move on to, to something much more positive. This week's Moratti, which we presented by Mr. Marvin. He's, he works a lot, he's intelligent, and he surprises uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. Yeah, my Moratti this week uh, is the 10-second sequence uh, that you alluded to earlier, Nima. Uh, probably the, the, the best thing about football all week long, um, which uh, started off by Moses uh, getting the ball, trying to cut back to uh, Lukaku. <laughs> Uh, the ball gets blocked. Lukaku is absolutely free on the far far post. Uh, get, goes absolutely mental uh, on on the mic. Uh, fucking hell, Victor or Victor fucking hell. I can't remember Victor, what. Victor uh, fucking hell. Victor fucking hell. <laughs> exactly. But then a cut to Antonio Conte in the stands, absolutely writhing in his seat, almost crying, in pain at the shambolic breakdown of the attack. You know. And and it was at that moment, you know, when uh, I figured Conte finally understood what intervenes, you know, what what Pazza intervenes, what 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 being an inter supporter is. It was at that moment in in particular, at which I realized that this is the right man for us. He's 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 been put to the ring. He's one of us now. He's one of us that now. Was, that was the image was, of the week. Everyone I mean, the, the, the anguish in his soul, the man has spent a, a lifetime winning yeah. without suffering. <laughs> Nine months it took for him to break him yeah. to a shell of a man <laughs> that he once was. Almost <laughs> crying. The embodiment of arrogance and, and, and you know, control <laughs> on the sideline, you know, always, you know, barking orders to, to uh, like Broke you say, down. like a, a shell He's completely... Yeah. Destroyed. Like that gif oh. is to me, that, that is what Inter yeah. does to you. Nothing explains. Like he's, he's close to tears, he's angry, he's, 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 just, he's just, he's fed up with life. 
Like he's really like he's oh he wants to creep out of his skin. I mean I that that was honestly <laughs> it's those ten seconds that that ma- that make me so optimistic about the rest of the season. You know, it's uh it's uh he he, he gets it. Antonio Conte, he gets it. The good thing about him being in the stands is that it's given him a chance to rest his voice for the next match. Exactly. I think he, in the Sassuolo game, he'd pretty much lost it altogether. So hopefully he's recharged. He, he needs to recharge his batteries as well. Porga droia, um, e la vida, e la vida. E la vida. <laughs> the thing is you can't it is him because that that dialect is <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah you recognize it it's brilliant right on that note uh note uh, hashtag territorial discrimination uh let's move on let's, <laughs> thank thank i want to thank you carlo for coming on <laughs> no it's been a pleasure i enjoy it as always guys and as always mo thanks for coming on yeah, always a pleasure. It was a great time uh, being on to speak. Yes, and you too, Mr. Billiam. <laughs> Thank you. I'm never telling you a childhood anecdote again. <laughs> if gonna, if this is how you're going to treat them. <laughs> Stream them out across the entire episode. What? Right. A total of five listeners? I mean, you know, come on. Yeah. It's all right. It's, it's no, we, as good we, as a secret. <laughs> right, let's... Uh, um, that was all we had time for this week. Uh, um, my name is Nima Tawale Rutsari, wishing you six points. Good week and sempre e solo Forza Inter. Forza Inter Roma!